Forgecast. My name's Sam Towns. And I'm Zach Nesbitt. Yeah, we're both together again today, but before we get back into the episode, let's take a moment to thank our sponsor. This week's episode is bubbling your ear flux thanks to the amazing crew at Nordic Edge, where you can get all of your blacksmithing and bladesmithing needs, such as crispy Cubitron belts, Apex Ultra, brilliant bevel jigs, and more. So visit their easy-to-use website, nordicedge.com.au, after the show to stock up. Yes. Um, so what have you been up to this week, Zach? Uh, trying to dodge hail, I imagine. <laughs> You know, well, I had to get out to the shop, rain, hail, or shine, and funnily enough, I got all three. <laughs> yeah, in so, one day. Yeah, in the same day. It was very strange, but that didn't deter me from doing all of the work that I needed to. Um, I did have a few setbacks, not too much, though. Um, so it was just pretty much my usual smithing orders and whatnot, um, and I finished up that knife that I had a, a crack in uh, that you could saw, yeah, saw in my story a little while ago. Um, so I put some Huon pine handles on that one and uh, tr- transformed it into a little K-tip and it came out really nice. I'm pretty happy with it. Um, so yeah, now I can move on to the next knife project, which will be fun. Um, mm-hmm. So what else? Uh, I've been gearing up for the Balling Up Medieval Fair here in Perth at the end of August. So yeah, there's going to be a lot of me. stock made up for that. <laughs> <laughs> busy, busy, busy. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and today uh, I was working on a fire poker, a uh, fire tool stand. Um, and so that that's pretty much what was eating up most of my time. Uh, as I'm, as most of you people know, I am very pedantic on how my work looks. So, what do you mean, you people? <laughs> <laughs> yes, the uh, the overachiever in me was uh, was poking its uh, poking its face at me, and uh, yeah, I, I just I couldn't get some of the twists. Uh, it's not the twists, sorry, the bends just right. So I I kept mm. playing with them a little bit too long, but that's okay. They're all good now. And uh, ready to ready to weld and um, and actually get finished off for the weekend. So I'm really excited to uh, get that done. It'll be nice. Excellent. Yeah, that's pretty much about it. It's pretty much just rinse and repeat from there. Other than that, uh, my song of the week uh, has actually come from my old video games. Yeah, so I have been. I, I do. I play a lot of games every now and again with, in my downtime to just free the mind up a little bit. It's just <laughs> my way of relaxing, I guess. Playing high stress games. Don't know why, <laughs> but um, yeah. So I dug through the old collection and I pulled out Fallout Three. Everybody's favorite. Mm. Um, and so there is a song done by a band, Kirby Crackle. Um, who I met at one of the Comic Cons, and they actually have a song called Vault 101, which is nice. all about Fallout 3. <laughs> yeah. And and it's really, really catchy. It's a good bop. It's not too heavy. It's it's quite comical. Um, but you, you get into it. Um, he played it live at the show, and, and uh, yeah, so I bought the album, and, and it's been on the list ever since. Uh, it's That's a really awesome. good tune. And if you're a fan of the game, it's got lots of little, like, teases and easter eggs here and there so yeah it gives you a bit of a laugh too (laughs) 
I'm definitely going to have to give that a listen. Fallout 3 was yeah. actually my my first Fallout. And the soundtrack from Fallout is just amazing. doesn't matter what Fallout you, you go to. Uh, no, They're always was, just bangers. It was bangers. fantastic work that they did on those uh, on those games. The uh, the soundtracks really got a lot of people into But, uh, yeah, that's pretty much been what I've been up to. How about yourself, Sam? Oh, man. Recovered um, from your sickness? No. <laughs> but, uh, you're still full uh, of blork? Yeah, no, it's, it's funny, like, you know, how you get the cold and then you get over the cold and the cold just leaves a little present at the door, which is the chest infection. You know, like you yeah. wake up one morning and you're no longer stuffed up. You're no longer like, you know, got the headache and stuff. But now you're coughing up vast amounts of green phlegm. Yeah. You're like, yay, breathing is now difficult. Um, so, yeah, that's that's been fun. Uh, and it's actually kicked my ass pretty hard. I haven't been able to do much. Um, but I have hand sanded three sax blades that i'm working on i did a i did a really risky uh water quench uh auto hormone water quench on Uh, i saw that (laughs) i saw that video so when i moved one of the things i had to do was pour out my oil tank um just like i had a, a big old uh 48 inch tall um quench tank full of uh rice bran oil which was my main quenching medium um, and I had to pour it out because there was no way for me to transport it safely to the new place. And I haven't been able to refill it yet. So I was kind of like, I really need to heat treat this sax, but I don't have oil. Well, let's do a water quench. And let's try for an interrupted, you know, auto hormone. Um, <clears throat> I did end up getting a little tiny crack in it, but I managed to profile it out and maintain like an entirely hardened edge, which... When you have a hormone, it's always a bit hit and miss because you can always grind past the hormone into the soft material. So I was glad I got to keep that. But um, yeah, so I've got three of them uh, in the works and I'm kind of, I'm playing with an idea around making them almost like a set, but like I'm going to have one be stonewashed, simple construction, you know, that kind of thing. Have a middle one, which is, you know, hand sanded to a hand satin finish and all that kind of stuff slightly more improved and then have like the hormone slight you know a little bit of carving on the handle that kind of thing and and go through the ranks kind of thing if you like i it's it's an idea that's playing around in my head um i think the thing that's scaring me the most sam is that you said and i I gasp a bit you said you were going to do a stonewash finish i know i know how terrible If Alex the police, could hear you say that. Sam, Sam has been <laughs> completely kidnapped and uh, is now yeah. no longer here, and I have taken his place. Yeah, and There's I, a small I, fire I, that's just started down yeah. in Tasmania. <laughs> <laughs> the room suddenly got sick. Alex is just like, what? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I have done stonewashed blades before. Um, it's, I'm not totally against it, although, you know, I did make a meme of myself for a while, just going, no, stonewash is terrible. Don't do stonewash. But uh, no, I do I do enjoy a good stonewash on certain things, and I think it'll fit this specific knife really well, especially with, like, because I want to do, like, a more rugged kind of design and then go to, like, a more polished design for the Hamone one. Just have like, like the three peasant different... sax and then a high class sax. Yeah, that's it. You could almost have like the whelp, the huskarl, and then the yarl. You know the different <laughs> names of the knives. But yeah, um, I also picked up a set. Uh, I picked up a trio of forty-four gallon drums. Finally, um, oh, excellent. Yeah, Maybe one of them is going to end up going into my grinding room to be my new uh, quench, like the water tank for where I'm grinding. 
Because yeah. like ninety nine percent of the time at the moment, I'm grinding on swords, and when you're trying well, yeah. to when you're trying to cool off a sword when you're grinding it and you've only got a tub that's like 30 centimeters deep and you're having to like splash water up the blade and just sloshing water over yourself. And... I have no idea what you mean. You know, fire no. don't have that problem <laughs> yeah, at all. Ex- exactly. So um, originally I was just going to buy one uh, to do the extension on my kiln because I'm, I'm turning my uh, 30, mil- uh, 30 inch um, Don Fogg style kiln into a uh, 44, 45 inch Don Fog. Oh, uh, yes, so yes, that I can, you're extending that, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I can do like um, longsword blades and stuff like that. And so in in doing that, I wanted to, you know, also turn the what's remains of it because I'm only going to about use about half of it. I was going to turn the other half into a um, fire pit. Um, Why not? And, so, and then I was like, oh, while I'm here, I may as well grab another one because I'll end up I'll I'll use it for the quench tank in the workshop so that I don't have to friggin' splash myself all the time. Um. Taking a uh, note out of John Swiss's book. Yeah, that's it. Uh, and then <laughs> I'm getting a third one. Some life. Yeah, and, and the third one I got is because I'm going to be turning that into a wax burnout kit um, kiln for um, doing uh, investment wax casting. Um, a friend of mine uh, who I've mentioned on the channel before, on, on the show before, uh, Andy, who runs uh, Alpha Smelting, he's getting back into doing more smelting stuff and he wants to get into Lost Wax casting. Uh, and we're actually at the moment looking at um, a form of investment casting that isn't what you normally see, where you do like vacuum tables and stuff. Uh, but instead, it's a slip wash form where you actually use an investment slip and you paint it on and then you dust it with uh, silica dust. Um, and then you just add layers like that and you create a, a casting tree and then you just use a, a burnout kiln. And the best way to make a burnout kiln is just basically a bottomless Don Fog kiln. So I'm going to do one of those and uh, we're going to have a wax investment casting setup very soon. From it's going to be useful for the both of us. Casting a new pommel or something like that if you need to, or some repair work. Uh, I've got I've got a couple of people who've been talking to me about making some custom swords with some very intricate pommels and quillens and stuff like that that have designs on them that would be best suited by bronze casting rather than trying to carve them from steel. So um, I'd be very interested to get the, the investment casting set up so that I can actually do stuff like that. Um, one of them that I'm interested in is making a fetish vert um like a long sword training sword that's going to have quillins with like fists at either end of the quillins and then the pommel is just going to be a giant fist because the guy who uses it his nickname is knuckles um <laughs> so that's something that's been in the works for a long time and I'm, I'm really keen to get that started um but yeah so that's that's pretty much it um my song of the week this week is something that i've been keen to add to the playlist for a while and i actually uh, posted about this on my Instagram uh, when she finally made it live, <laughs> and it's, it's um, because it's, it's such a tune. Like originally, when I heard her sing it on TikTok, of course it was on TikTok. We, we all know this. Um, I thought it was an original like Celtic folk tune, right? Like I thought it was just like a, a walking tune, like you hear some of the old Celtic lilting songs and uh or like a celtic rhyming song and i was kind of like oh that's really cute and then i realized that she'd actually written it and she was actually producing it i was like oh my god this is amazing i want to i want to listen to this and and it's absolutely awesome so uh the song is called irish eyes uh, and it's by a singer named rose betts 
Uh, and honestly, when you listen to it, tell me it doesn't sound like it was passed down from like family to family through generations because it is just absolutely stunning. But um, yeah, definitely well worth a listen. Well, since we don't have any emails. Yeah, um, no, you know, our, our listeners have been slack this week, you know. Ah, they've all been busy working away on their projects and getting the workshop, <laughs> so I can't blame them. I'm sure they're working on uh, stockpiling those questions for next time. We can just go into inspirations. And our inspirations are coming to you thanks to Knife Maker Plus, where you can get taught the pro tips of bladesmithing by one of the best in the game, ABS Mastersmith Kyle Royer. It's like he's right in the room instructing you and providing tips to turn your knife making game up to 11. You can do all that and more by visiting learnknifemaking.com after the show. Who's been inspiring you this week? You beat me to it by half a second. Yeah. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Got to be faster. Got to be faster on the draw. Ah, that's all right. My inspiration actually just came from one of those nights scrolling through, as you do. I actually shared it on my story. So if any of you can remember, you might have seen it already. Mm -hmm. But it was a bottle opener and it was forged into a fish shape and it was a trap. The idea of this one, it came about because the person who forged it was going on a fishing trip that he, uh, with a mate that he hadn't seen for about 20 years or so. And uh, it was just a good opportunity. He, he smashed it out real quick. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, and, and I thought it was absolutely stunning. Uh, did some flame tempering colors on it to just, you know, zhuzh it up a little bit. And, um, <laughs> yeah. and, and it, I really, I love it. I, I want to have a crack at doing one myself because, you know, it just goes with the name of my forge. But... The person who forged that is Dave from DK Forgeworks on Instagram. Um, mm. And if you scroll back through, he's done a, a lot of wonderful work. Anything from artistic to tools to just there's a very big range. And there's a lot of whimsy in there, which is what I like. That's definitely my style. So, yeah, absolutely wonderful work on that trout bottle opener. And I'll, I will, if he doesn't mind, I'm going to give one a go myself. And uh, I think even he was going to, uh, he enjoyed it that much. He was probably going to go and do another a couple himself anyway. So I'm looking forward to seeing nice. more, uh, maybe even a little uh, a little school of, of fish bottle openers. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> I, did, I did love, uh, like the, the style looks very much like your style. Like it's something that I can see you making. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. Right up to the, the flame tampering and everything. <laughs> the only thing that's missing great. is a bit of brass brush and you're like immediately... <laughs> It's a it's a laughing fish forge thing. I've realized now that it's become a thing with my work. I did a, a, a fire poker just the other week, and I did just the blacksmith finish, and it, yeah, <laughs> and and you know what? I was very happy with it. It looked really good. It was very clean. It was as you would expect as a blacksmith finish, mm-hmm. right? But something in my mind of it, I was just like, no, no, I can't, no. <laughs> doesn't look right it's not yes it's, it's, it's i can do better you know i can make and and i think i've just become so accustomed to the the coloring and the brass brushing and and playing with that sort of angle of it because it just it adds such a nice little depth to it and <laughs> it's really hard for me to do the other finishes now because i struggle with it <laughs> yeah it makes it yours too like it's yeah it's become a little uh, a little thing a little sign of my work so it's it's i quite like yeah. it one of those double-edged swords you know you're damned if you yeah, do, absolutely. you're damned if you don't. <laughs> Always. Either way, I'm glad people are enjoying it as much as I am. <laughs> but yes, check out DK Forgeworks and all the whimsy work that he does. Do it. How about yourself, Sam? Who's been keeping you inspired and working away? 
So this is actually a, an inspiration that has been shared to me, funnily enough. This is actually one of the first times that I've ever, ever actually had an inspiration sent to me, and I was like, wow, this is amazing. Uh, and it was actually sent to, a, by, uh, sent to me by a friend of ours, uh, Thomas Kelly, uh, <laughs> who mentioned that like he, ke- he keeps coming across pages and going, oh, Sam would really like this, and then realizes <laughs> that I've probably put him onto it in the first place. And so he was very happy to find one that I obviously hadn't found yet. I hadn't come uh, up with the list yet. <laughs> that's it. Excellent. Um, and it's a, a creator by the name of Mali Irie Cross. Um, and it's, um, they're, they're a French engraver. And they specifically specialize in doing Japanese style engraving. Ah, um, there you go. Yeah, which, you know, like, it's <laughs> it's right up my alley. And uh, they've actually won excellence prizes in Tokyo's engraving schools and stuff like that. And they do this this stunning detail work inspired by Japanese style, but not with Japanese tooling. Okay. Uh, a lot of what they do is using stuff like uh, push gravers and stuff like that. But they do these really stunning like oni demons and you know like the geisha women and all that kind of stuff on things like uh higuranakami the folding knives okay um but yeah they they just do this really intricate cut work and i absolutely love it and i was looking back through a lot of their stuff and they've done like deep relief engraving on kiridashi of like a full dragon with golden like with gold inlaid eyes and you know right. the, the proper japanese style dragon it's absolutely stunning work and so immediately i was like yep that's going on the list they're, they're <laughs> amazing i'm following them excellent um but yeah no it was it, it's such such a great thing to see like this these kind this kind of engraving um being pursued all around the world right like this is obviously you know a, a french creator that's doing this style of engraving it really inspires me to continue my path down that but yeah so anyway um they're Name on Instagram, you you can check the tags on the Instagram post to make sure that you get it right, but uh, it is M-A-L-I-I-R, uh, so yeah, so M-A-L-I-I-R-I-E-C-R-O-S, Mali Irie Cross, and that moves us into Technique of the Week. Technique. Technique of the Week. 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 We have such a riveting technique for you. Don't we, Sam? Yeah, it really gets on your head, you know. <laughs> uh, we're terrible, absolutely terrible. It's uh, heading nails yeah. and rivets. Yeah, something that uh, everyone should try and have a little play with at some point in the blacksmithing career. <laughs> it, it actually is quite an art. It, it, drawing down the mm. drawing down the stock to the right length, um, and yeah, cutting it, doing the doing the, the right shape and breaking it off all in the quick motion to then forge the nail head mm. on it as well, or usually in the one heat, or if not, maybe two. Um, it is definitely... And honestly, the heading is... <laughs> the, the heading itself is probably the most difficult part of it. Like, 100%. drawing the taper and all that kind of stuff is relatively easy, but once you actually get to, like, actually mushrooming the head mm. on, it can be incredibly difficult to get it centered. Oh, 100%. And even. Yeah. Like the amount of nails that I've tried to make where I've ended up making a hockey stick out of it and just, you know, like just, just ended up with a head on one side and the, yep. <laughs> the haft on the other. It's terrible. Yeah. It, it's, um, it is one of those. So it, is, uh, it really is an art form. Yeah, it is. It's, it's one of those things where you do need to practice and repetitiveness will, uh, doing, doing it repeatedly will always help. 
um, because mm. like you've talked about before uh, on the show, um, using nails, how they would have you know people making that all day, every day, uh, because they'd have to be very specific yep, that was about how many nails they'd need for the job. So you bust out a couple of thousand nails is what they need for the job. That's all they'll be doing. So you obviously get very quick at it um by doing it and and even anyone that's right into the blacksmithing and basic techniques and that tempering uh sorry not tempering tapering um if you do mm-hmm. it enough you can do it real quick um so you can imagine oh, how yeah, quick I'm that would be pumping these nails out in the day <laughs> um there's some great old videos of like um the old nail making like shops of like yeah. 12 guys making nails yeah. all at once oh. That's good fun to watch. Um, it's nuts to watch. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely great to watch. I always wanted to to get into a little bit more nail making. Like, I've made basic, you know, your, your square nail, the, your your basic square nail. But there are so many different kinds of nail in the haft itself. Like in the, um, you've got cut nails, you've got square nails, you've got round nails, all that kind of stuff. But then there's all the different decorative heads. Oh, yeah. And, and then, stuff like and that then that what you people do. do in customizing their own as well, um, as their own decorative ones where they'll... Um, uh, they'll cut their own dyes to do uh, their own heading and stamping in them as well. It's incredible. There is yeah. so many things you can do, um, especially with the stamps into rivets, uh, rivet heads themselves. But with nails, well, I really like that diamond pattern that you, you know that, that you can yeah. paint the corners in the rose head. Yeah, it's a, it's a very simple design, but it's very effective too. Um, and I, I really want to have a crack at making a, a, a few, well, a, a few hundred nails. Actually, I'd like to set aside a day or a couple of days um, to actually make some because I think it'd be really good for hammer control just in itself. And there's Absolutely. plenty of carpenters out there there's... that would love to have a couple of handmade nails to play with. <laughs> well, that's it. Like, uh, I mean, I do a bit of bit of woodwork, but every all the woodwork I do is with hand tools only. I don't do a lot of powered mm-hmm. woodwork, and that's partially because I enjoy it, and partially because I don't have a lot of power, you know, carpentry tools. <laughs> Not having the tools but is like, one of those factors. <laughs> one of my favorite things is, you know, like that medieval carpentry style and, and you know, having hand-forged nails yeah. and hand-forged brackets and straps and handles and that kind of stuff. I'd love to make chests with, like, using the old medieval construction methods. It's definitely an aesthetic um, that uh, is yeah. it's sort of coming back into fashion a bit more often now, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, that's it. <laughs> but um, but yeah, even even um, I mean, nail headed tools are very simple. They they don't really change all that much. It's just really sizes, um, and the heading itself is more your hammering technique um, for different styles. Um, and then you can go into your decorative, like we said, stamps and punches and chisels, and go from there. But uh, rivet headers, um, they're, a, they're a bit of a different story. Yeah, I mean, because you're not working, you're working with the support of the rivet itself. Yeah. Like with a nail, you're supporting it on the shoulder of the taper. Mm. Whereas with a rivet, you're kind of having to support the whole body of the rivet uh, in order to move it. So you've got to use something like a monkey tool to put a head on it. Yeah. Put the first head on. Yeah. <laughs> and I've, I've made a fair few monkey tools in my life, uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I've, I've made um, two, and, I, and neither of them I like. <laughs> yeah, I think the biggest mistake that people make, and it's one that I made too, and actually, unfortunately, Alex uh, suffered from my mistake, oh, no. was that a lot of people, when they fir- when they make their first monkey tool, make them blind. They make blind monkey tools. Yes. So you drill a hole to the depth that you want, yes. 
and then that becomes your monkey tool <laughs> and it's in a solid block of steel and it seems like it works really well because you know like there's no way for you know like it, it can only go to that depth that's fine getting the bastard out is the problem yeah yeah if it get because as you're riveting it it's mushrooming inside the hole yeah. and it swells to expand it so anyway um the best monkey tools you can make are bottomless so you know the monkey tool is the length of the rivet that you want um so for instance i've got a monkey tool that's 40 mil long you know, like 40 mil tall yeah. and that gives me a 40 mil long rivet uh and that means that if it gets stuck you can turn it over and use a punch and just <laughs> knock it out punch the sucker out if it gets <laughs> stuck yeah um i wish i thought of that when i made the early ones because uh. <laughs> Then you just like the funny thing is you end up with a decorative block of steel with a rivet, oh, head rivet sticking head out of it. Yeah. That's, that's it. <laughs> oh, good times, uh, good times. But yeah, so um, making monkey tools is really easy because you just need a block of steel that's the thickness of the the length of rivet you want, and then you can use things like rivet heading punches, which um, are just domed, like you know, inside. The yeah. concave domed punches. So usually using a even a little bit of flat plate or something like that, um, mm. it, it can really even. I've I've done a couple out of mild steel for a couple of rivets, um, but you you mm-hmm. probably want to use something a little well thickness really will do it because um, it's not it's not going to yeah. be in contact for a very long time unless you're doing multiples, which you can in turn just cool the block down. Mm. But um, yeah, I just made myself uh, a couple of different domed punches uh, to different sizes of rivets yep. that I wanted to, to have. And I just made the impressions into a block. And now I have a block mm. with different, different impressions for different rivet heads if I want to. Um, so it's really handy to make and it's very, it's super simple. Um, you don't even have to have a good grinder. Yeah, riveting blocks are great. Yeah, you don't even have to have a good grinder. You can do it with hand files. It's just your time. Um, but my one mm. suggestion is try and try and like sand it and polish the, the ball punch as best you can. Just, yeah, get it, get it as shiny as you yeah, possibly can. Yeah, just just to limit the any different uh, levels or, or cuts and, and texture that you might leave in it, because um, that will then transfer to your rivet head. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, um, and having like you know having your bottom rivet block and then having a matching top. Yes. Um, die is really useful if, if you're going for domed rivets um, that is or even decorative yeah. shapes and and different things like that figuring out how much extra rivet length you need to get a proper rivet head because a lot of people either get too yes. much or not enough uh and i've found that the kind of golden ratio is width and a half so if you're say using a 10 millimeter rivet you want 12 and a half millimeters or 15 millimeters uh, somewhere between 12 and a half and 15 millimeters of length outside of the you know tong boss or whatever you're trying to rivet uh, and that will give you the proper yeah. mushroom um and that will give you a 15 millimeter domed head rivet uh 15 millimeter wide um so if you if you're using 10 mil stock you make a 15 millimeter dome punch and you'll get a 15 millimeter head um so yeah, it's it's one of those things that I think takes a little bit of practice to get your eye in on if you're just going to do it by eye, but measuring it first helps. Uh, in my technique, how I do it, I actually just use a, uh, a round bar of stock. It goes straight through, it holds them together, and I do it cold on the first hit. I lay a plate that actually um, lifts up the work off the anvil but supports it enough mm-hmm. for the bottom of the rivet. 
uh, and then I mushroom the top over uh, on the top side and then I just flip it over, remove the plate and yep. then dome it back down together. Um, there's really not much to it. That's that's my way of doing it. It's pretty, uh, I guess, <laughs> rough as guts as you'd say. It's not quite as not not quite as decorative, but then it goes with the look yep. of what I'm achieving. My biggest problem in the technique is dropping yeah. the hot rivet into See, a See, like, and this is the thing, like... <laughs> For me, What's I end up a lot of the time. I will actually set the rivet cold a little bit. Um, so I, I took this tip yeah. from uh, Roy Adams from Chrysan and Ironworks actually, because uh, he puts his rivet through okay. and then he just uses a bolster plate, which is the thickness of the length of the rivet he needs, so like fifteen mil, say, and then he'll just yeah. cold upset okay. it, not like fully set it, but cold upset it to the point that it sticks in place, yeah. and then he'll just stick the whole lot in the forge. Um, yeah. And after I, okay. yeah, so similar to yeah. how I do and it, but basically he I it found as well. that that was the most effective <laughs> method because then I just stick it in the forge, rivet the damn thing, and then I've still got that heat to play around with, you know, like freeing up the tongs and all that kind of stuff because you end up having to yeah. play around with it a bit after it's riveted anyway. You do. You, you, there's I've never seen anyone hot set a, you know, a pair of rivet uh, a rivets uh, into a, to- a set of tongs. I mean, yeah, and not I mean, play with it after if they do, it's. Not- Pure dumb luck. There's no way. They... <laughs> yeah, that's it. Magic. Yeah, but um, magic yeah. The stuff. other technique that I wanted to talk about is uh, the rivets naturally fall towards you, right? Anytime that you're trying to rivet head something or head a nail, the head will always fall towards you. So if your rivet starts pulling over towards your hammer hand, turn the stock around away from you and then start keep hammering it. Yep. Don't change the angle of your hammer. Just keep hammering it like you were. Just face it. If it's falling away from you, uh, falling towards you, turn it so it's falling away from you. Yeah. Turn now that's normally because hammer. like the anvil's are low <laughs> enough that that's how the, the hand is coming in. And the hand is naturally moving back towards the body a little bit when it comes down to the anvil face. If your anvil's a little taller, you may find that it's the opposite problem is that the rivet's actually falling away from you. In which case... Second verse, same as the first, you just do it the opposite way around. So if it starts falling away from you, turn the stock around and push it back the other way. Um, Don't try and angle the hammer is what I'm trying to say, though. It's because a lot of people will just try and angle the hammer to try and beat it back in the other direction. It's much easier to just turn the damn stock around and keep smacking it. Um, It is is one of those crafts. Um, Rivets and nails, they (laughs) just come with time. Uh, the more time, and and that's even if you go down the rate, uh, route of making your own, you can most most smiths that I know mm. just buy their rivets pre-made, and then they only just set the one side. That's that's more of a production thing. But if that's uh, more your game, because again, not everyone has the time yeah. to make the nails uh, and rivets for themselves these days. Usually, when they do, it's a very quick rivet. Like I said, for the tongs, it's something very quick where you've just put it through and you've cold set it or you've even hot set it like mm-hmm. Roy Adams and, and, and Sam does. But um, yeah. yeah, have a play I with think, it. I think we all need to do our riveting Definitely. just that little bit better. Take a little bit more pride in our work, you know. All right, with uh, with that being said, we're moving into the topic of the week and it's it's very poignant to the, the technique of the week and the, the topic of the week is tong making because what good are tongs without yes. rivets and what <laughs> good are rivets without rivet tongs? Uh, yeah. <laughs> It's really everybody's oh, favorite man. thing. Every every blacksmith I think tongs. that I've ever spoken to would it would say that they would love to make tongs if it wasn't for the fact that they had to draw out damn reins. You know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you feel the anxiety raising as soon as yeah. like, oh god, making tongs. Oh, so, <laughs> but yeah, it's just drawing out the reins. That's really the thing. The work ends yeah. are quite good. My problem 
personally mm. is drawing the boss out. I am very pedantic on getting the boss yeah, to shape. <laughs> but because uh, I don't, I'm, I'm one of those crazy people. I don't mind the drawing out. Of yeah, I'm, I am so totally <laughs> like just making the tong bosses and tong heads and just sending you the, the fucking tongs to draw the reins out on. <laughs> Screw that. Um, actually, I want to. I want to work into doing uh, um, welded rain tongs. You know, doing the the whole upset scarf weld stuff. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and now I've got my setup with the the coal forge. I can do that. So um, I finally get back to coal forging. I'm kind of excited for it. Yes, tongue making. Um, what what would you say, Sam, would be the first um, say few sets of tongs? I mean, so everyone should make a pair of flat bits, right? Like everyone should make your bog standard pair of flat bits with a little bit of like a six mil round cut in it, or a little bit of a ninety degree V down the middle. Uh, and some gription just just as your basic mm-hmm. bog standard first set ever everyone make a pair of flat bits because it teaches you everything you need to know and they don't hold anything very well but they hold most things okay especially because like a oh, lot yeah. of what we work with yeah. is they flat are very stock. useful well yeah fl- well flat stock if you uh, if you're going gravitating towards more of the knife styles um bladesmithing yeah but um blacksmithing i mean starting out you might work with some six mil round a couple of yeah, pegs, a bit of rebar even so it could be uh, anything up to 10 12 mil round or square so um i agree yeah some flat bits are great uh, and then I would probably yeah. go. Bolt jaws would be uh, my tongs, second. Either round or my round second. Or uh, yeah, always doing a pair of yeah. bolt jaws with the with the ninety degree V's and size them for like yeah. you know ten twelve mil something like that. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty average stock most of the time, and even those, and stuff. Like those that. two styles you can pretty make average. relatively easily with very little effort, right? Like they're not they're not super complex compared to some of the other styles of tongs you get out there. Oh yeah, yeah. Like oh, famous wolf jaw tongs. Wolf jaw tongs. Like, here's here's <laughs> a, here's a controversial opinion. Wolf jaw tongs are just flat jaw tongs with slightly deeper V's in them. That's all they are. <laughs> I fucking I don't care. You can argue with me. Or... But wolf jaws yeah, sound that's cool. Great. And like I don't get me wrong. I would love to make myself a pair of wolf jaws. And actually, a pair that I use in my day to day life is what roy calls a pair of wolf jaw tongs um but mine are made to hold six more round <laughs> um but yeah so like the, the thing is that there is no such thing as a one size fits all tong i think that's the myth a lot of us get into blacksmithing yeah i think a lot of us that, get into blacksmithing myth, and we're yeah. like oh we only need like three or four <laughs> pairs of tongs and we can hold everything and i mean like no you're right you Wrong. can you can hold anything with three or four pairs of tongs you will not hold it well and you will not hold it for long. Well, <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Like, point. you know, not yeah. Well. I mean, you know, I could, <laughs> I could make myself all. a pair of Brian Brazil style hammer eye tongs, like the hammer tongs. I could hold anything with those, right? Because they literally just two points of contact. Would it hold it well? Hell no. Would I be able to do anything with it? No, but I could still hold it. <laughs> but no. But uh, we need something more practical. Something that was uh, something that was pointed out to me uh, a while ago was that tongs are literally just a clip-on handle. So, like in bladesmithing, most bladesmiths that I know, including myself, tend to just weld a piece of rebar to whatever stock we're using to avoid using tongs for as long as possible. That's a pretty common um, thing that I see a lot. Is just the welded bit of rebar. It's it's much more secure because there's no like there's no weak point between the jaws and the and the piece. Uh, And so for the most part, especially when you're working on flat bar, 
it's much easier to just have a welded on handle and you know mess around with it like it's a piece of solid bar um but then obviously the tongs have to come in yeah. after you cut it off the bar but even then you're normally you can get away with just yeah. a pair of flat bits or a pair of knife tongs um you don't need a lot of tongs to be a bladesmith well even then with the flat bar if you forge most of the uh yeah. the profile on the flat bar um then you'll only need certain tongs to grab it at exactly the end to yeah. say forge the tang or you know the rest of the profile or so and you know again depends on what you're doing but but you're right that you could do um a lot of work with very minimal tongs um i think i, might, I myself i only have about or I, I yeah say i'd say about 10 or 10, 12 i don't think I, ha- I don't even have think i have 10 pairs of tongs i think probably about oh, I, i'd say about 10 pairs of tongs probably i don't think i have 10 but about <laughs> let's say 10 but uh i probably only use yeah. about four of them uh, most of the time and my most used set of tongs is actually the set of flat bits that you made me, Sam. Tongs. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's almost my everyday set of tongs. It holds all, <clears> of, the, um, all of the flat stock that I work with uh, for the shovels. And uh, mm-hmm. it also holds all the round stock and some small square stock. So they're very, very handy. And I like, and, I like the longer handles on it myself. I prefer Yeah, I'm a, I'm a long-handled tong kind of guy. Yeah, but yeah, some, some short handles definitely have their, uh, definitely have their place in the world. Sure, but working um, gas forges, short handles just, just are like hair removers. <laughs> well, yeah, true. Um, but like, so for me, like the big thing is, that I think any blacksmith is the same. We all have like two or three pair, like pairs of tongs that we use all the time, right? Yes. Like I, I know for myself yeah, that there are pretty much four pairs that get used 90% of the time for me. It's a pair yeah. of flat bits. A pair of um, a pair of round uh, jaw tongs. They're actually flat bits that have been curved into round bits. Um, my little wolf jaws that hold six mil, and then my hammer tongs um, yep. that I that I made. So those four do pretty much everything that I need to do on a day to day basis because I'm working with the same size of material almost all the time. But then there are yep. occasionally times where I'm like, I need to hold this weird shape of thing, or I need to hold a different size of stock. And I need a different pair of tongs because none of my tongs is doing the job properly. Yeah. Uh, and that's when you come into the collection of tongs that I have. I think I've got probably 10 at the moment. I keep giving them away. Um. <laughs> that's generally what happens. I gave a, I gave us actually, it was a set of your tongs that you gave. Yeah, to me no, it was. <laughs> you said like, I, I, you sent me a photo and I was like, I recognize those tongs because I see my name on them. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the last time I saw them, they were yours. And he's, you're yeah, like, yeah I'd I, give them all. I was using them for uh, rail spikes, and then uh, I made yeah. myself uh, a, a bigger set to hold them because um, yeah. the little ones weren't holding the spikes that I worked on <laughs> the way I treat them. <laughs> yeah. So I made a little bit more robust pair and uh, passed them on to a friend of mine so uh, he can get a, a, an attack a couple of uh, rail spikes himself, uh, which he has, which is great. But yeah, um, that's awesome. I in, love it. in the spirit of uh, tong making, Sam, what stock would you uh, mostly go for to make, uh, say, your beginner tongs out of? What what sort of uh, t- talking in the uh, the scrap aspects, you know? Yeah. Um, or so scrap. Would, would you go for mostly mild steel if you can find it to do temporary yeah. tongs, or would you hundred percent as yeah. far to use some uh, old coil spring if you're uh, almost <laughs> in for it? If you use <laughs> If you use coil spring to make tongs, you're as much of an idiot as I was when I did it. Um, I no, like there is there it. is a pl- there is a place for coil spring in tongs, especially if you're doing anything that requires 
torsion like scrolling toms where you've got to actually put lateral stress on the bits having that yeah. little bit of extra strength is important because if you make those out of mild steel those bits are just going to bend out of the way and they're not going to scroll anything yeah um so there are there is a place for like heavier duty stuff but mild steel is going to do 90 percent of what you do yeah. and i incredibly highly suggest that anyone getting started doesn't scrap for their tong stock a piece of uh, inch by quarter inch or 25 by six millimeters, uh, a six meter length of that's like 25 bucks. And you will get, you will get like half a dozen sets of tongs out of that. Uh, and my biggest suggestion is go to Christ Centered Ironworks YouTube channel because he has an entire playlist of how to make tongs out of 25 by six. And, and he does. I actually went through and made six different sets from his instruction um, that I added to my roster and they're all incredibly functional tools and they were incredibly easy to do because they were made out of such small stock. Yeah. Um, so they don't take forever to make. Like I could, I made them all by hand without Preston um, and I, I was making two sets a day and that's me who like gets puffed out after like an hour <laughs> of hammer swinging because I'm way too unfit. Um, but then if I'm making like heavier duty tongs, then I'll normally use either uh, 10 by 25 so three eighths by inch uh, or i'll use three quarter inch square in all of those cases i'm using known stock because using scrap is almost always a pain in the butt more than it needs to be and most of the stuff that you'll find that's big enough is generally galvanized and not worth it yeah don't, don't or it's it. or it's rebar and it gives you a whole bunch of cold shuts and a lot of pain and you can do but everyone's got that little quick grip set of uh, rebar tongs in a pinch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you, I mean, can't, you can't fault them. <laughs> there's nothing if, wrong if with that. Got, and actually... If you've got rebar thick enough, I should say, you mm. can just draw that down into to usable stock. It will, might still have some cold shots in it, but it'll still be... I still job. have... Plus, it'll, be, um, it'll still have that bit of torsion in it too. A bit harder than mild steel, so... Absolutely. So, actually, yeah. funnily enough, my, my second ever pair of tongs that I ever made was out of 12 mil rebar. It was a half inch rebar and I still have them. They <laughs> were my first ever set of uh, attempt at a pair of bolt jaws, but I didn't make them bolt jaws. I just made them flat bits with bolt jaw, like the big round bits. Yeah. yeah. Because I didn't understand what bolt jaw tongs were at the time. I was literally just getting started <laughs> and I was like, I want to make tongs. Let's make a tong. Um, that looks good. <laughs> but yeah, honestly, all I did was just mash a bit of the rebar flat, drill a hole in it, and make two the same and then yep. just made a pair of bolt jaws. Uh, and all I needed to do was use a V-swage and a V-chisel and I could have made proper bolt jaws out of them, but I just never did. <laughs> um, so yeah, absolutely do that. That's like 100%. That is one of the best ways. And actually one of the easiest pairs of tongs to make ever. Uh, if you go on Swallow Forge, I believe, still has the video on YouTube. It's literally just a two bent pieces of six mil, right? So it's uh, 25 by six. You clamp two pieces together, drill a hole in them, put a bolt through, and then in front of that, you just heat and then twist them 90 degrees. Yeah. And you immediately have a pair of tongs. That's it. That's it. <laughs> start to finish. You just went and made a pair of tongs. Are they going to hold anything well? No. Are no. they strong? No. Will they hold stuff far enough away from the fire that you're not going to burn your hands? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and i think like when he made them he made them out of like three mil bar because it's like a lot of yeah, easier they were very thin. To twist yeah 
yeah. yeah. But the thing is, is like I've made a pair of those out of six mil. I even made a pair for fun. I tried to do it out of ten mil, um, and it worked. It worked. But the big trick is to leave a lot of length for the bits because then you can make them almost like bolt jaws. Like you can bend yeah. them out a little bit and make them pincers, and they hold a really well. To play with, <laughs> yeah. But honestly, like for for just trying to pick stuff up out of the fire it's a hell of a lot better than a pair of multi-grips like well, i see so many big how simple they would have been made back in the day as well so oh, they, yeah. they wouldn't have been they would have just been i've got to hold this in the fire that that's simply it that wouldn't have been pretty. that's it that would have been half the time they probably wouldn't have even been riveted that would have <laughs> <laughs> well i mean you've seen those uh, african tongs that are literally just a ring yeah. two pairs of steel two pieces of steel like crossed over each other like for me it's like i see a lot of beginner blacksmiths on youtube and stuff like that and like i've met them in person they'll be literally taking stuff out of their forge with a pair of multi-grips like those slip jaw lock jaw yeah the tongue and groove pliers or a pair yeah. of like a uh, pair of um uh, vice grips long nose pliers like i do. yeah long nose pliers <laughs> yeah. so and the thing is, is that your hand is getting basically in the forge to pull the steel out at that point yeah and they don't hold for shit no. so you may as well make yourself a pair of those twist jaw tongs and at least not burn yourself <laughs> you know no, and if you make them out true. of six if you make them out of pair of six if you make them out of six mil they are fairly strong like they're not they're not going to be as strong as a proper forged boss tong but they are pretty grippy. They will do the job, especially, like you said, if you leave that extra length in it, you can forge them a shape uh, to shape a little bit better and hold the stock that you want to do. Because if you only leave a little snub nose in there, it's not, you don't have enough to bend the, the, the tips forward enough to grab the stock. And you end yeah. up just trying to nip the edge a bit and you don't get a good point of contact. But um, another question I wanted to bring up was finishing your tongs. Mm. Um because that is one thing that uh, even comes into one of the other, other topics we had was seasonal care. Your tongs usually do hang on a rack. Uh, generally, yeah. here you're forged. They've taken a lot of abuse. They should be cared for in every season or so, but they're going to get used quite a lot. So they're in and yeah. out of the forge. Sometimes they're even holding you know hot metal and being kept in the forge. So even the tongs get heated up quite a lot. Oh, man, all the time. Just so... Why, what what sort of finishes could you use on the tongs to maintain and, and keep them lubricated and, uh, you know, give them a good life? Um, <laughs> I myself just uh, every now and again, when I'm doing some finishing, uh, I'll use different sets of tongs that will just hold the work uh, when I'm doing my color tempering and I'll actually just dip them in the oil uh, once yep. I've done uh, dipping the, the, the product in the oil. And that sort of will give them a bit of a coating and then I wipe them over and then I just hang them back up at the rack again and get the next pair. But is there anything else, Sam, that uh, you do or that you've seen done that uh, I mean, be that, beneficial? That's a lot of what I do. Like when I, when I, cause I, I use a tongue clip a lot. So I tend to leave my yeah. tongs in or around the forge quite a bit. So once they're really hot, once I'm finished working, instead of dumping them in the slack tub in the, in the, in the water, I'll yeah. dump them in the, uh, the quench tank of the oil. And yeah. then just let them let them you know burn off a little bit uh, of the oil there, and that normally keeps them pretty protected. But if I'm not doing that, occasionally you'll get rot- tongs with build up rust. Yeah. Um, and so Unset normally if they you don't do, use for a while, <laughs> oh man, you can always tell how long a pair of tongs of mine hasn't been used by how red it is. You know, like <laughs> and how shiny the handles are because the handles always get yeah. buffed smooth by your hands after a while. <laughs> That's it. Um, 
but yeah, if I if I end up seeing a tong pair of tongs get really rusty, because the thing is that rust grates on your hands. It's not comfortable. It's not fun. Yeah. Um, it doesn't hurt the tongs that much, but it's just not great to play around with. So instead, I'll it just take them. Yeah, yeah, I'll take them with a wire wheel really quickly. Wire wheel them down, and then spray them with some RP seven or some WD forty or something like that before I put them back in the tong rack. Mm. Um, I know that a, a few people, and when I first finish my tongs a lot of the time, I'll rub them down with beeswax. Um, yeah, be- beeswax is a, is a good one to use too, yeah. Because it'll eventually burn off and stuff like that, but if they're not going to be used quite regularly, like the pair of uh, Railroad Spike tongs that I gave you basically had no rust on them because after I made them, I never used them. <laughs> like they literally, I made them, I thought Sealed that I was going to do it. <laughs> I I knew I was like I thought I was going to be doing a lot of work with railroad spikes, and I literally after I made that pair of railroad spike tongs, I never made anything out of a railroad spike ever again. And so they literally just sat in my my rack for like eighteen months until finally it was like Zach works with railroad spikes, and he's trying to grab them with these really janky bolt jaws. I have a pair of tongs that are specifically designed to do this. And I remember handing them to Zach's like, Zach's like, oh my God, these are amazing. And I'm like, yeah, no shit. They're built for purpose. This makes life um, so much easier. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so the, the reason that they hadn't like done anything to them is because I'd rubbed them down with a bit of uh, beeswax while they were still hot when I finished them. Because yeah, like, I knew I wasn't going to be using them immediately. Keeping your tongs cared for is important. And any finish that you use is going to wear off. So occasionally reapplying by just dumping them in the quench tank is going to be useful. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I guess uh, when you're doing your, uh, your annual hammer soak, <laughs> yeah, on your on your seasonal care, just uh, throw all your tongs into your into your oil quench tank for for a few minutes, and then just wipe them off as they're pulling you know, as you pull them out. That's yeah. uh, it's not a bad tip, but yeah, occasional care every now and again, especially on those trusty ones that you use every day or often enough. You look after them, and they'll look after you. Now, when, when you've made your tongs and you're using them, one of the things that we all do, and it's fine, is resizing. We'll tend to resize our tongs <laughs> to a new piece of stock because we'll need to hold a specific set of tongs and we don't have a pair of tongs to hold it. We don't want to make a whole new set of tongs, so we just resize a pair of tongs that we already have. Don't amazing. do it cold. <laughs> For Christ's sake, don't do it cold. <laughs> right? I understand that mild steel bends when it's cold, but even mild steel will crack under, you know, repeated wear. That is very true. But also keep in mind the stress that you're putting on the rivet doing that. Yeah. Um, it's not fun. <laughs> yeah, and then that's you'll get, it. Uh, you'll, you'll get some uh, weird shapes going on after the boss if that happens, <laughs> because once yep. you get a twist going on in there, it's, it's almost hell to try and bring back and keep them functional and all aligned at the same time it's yeah you can knock them out of shape real quick um and if you go to any of the antique shops or uh scrap yards and that where they might have old style um tongs and that from estate sales have a look at them <laughs> just, have a they're look like at them seven different look, kinds of munted look yeah. very closely <laughs> and you'll see exactly what i'm talking about that they've been readjusted that one many yeah. one too many times I've got a I've got a pair of uh, Roy Adams style knife tongs that I made. Uh, like they were the first pair of blade style tongs I'd made uh, five six years ago now, and they have been readjusted so many times that the nibs are falling off. 
Uh, so I've just I've just readjusted them so many times that they're just thinned out to the point they barely hold anything anymore. Well, I really need to make a, a new, new set. set. <laughs> yeah, I really need to make a new set. But uh, yeah, it's been one of those things that it's, it's got to make the time. So it's, it keeps keeps getting pushed down the list of priority. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's exactly yeah. right. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, look, that's how life goes. Um, I know it. Everyone else know, know it. I, I'm, I'm sure everyone is feeling the crunch at some point. But um, it ain't. It ain't. If you're not feeling the crunch on something, you're probably not doing it right. Hundred <laughs> percent. Well, as you're uh, uh, <laughs> as you're uh, falling asleep, Sam, I think oh, uh, that pretty much about wraps up the show for us. I believe. Um, yeah, I mean, tong making is one of those com- tong topics that we could probably talk about for a million years. Well, there's um, a lot of different aspects that we could attack on that too, but yeah. um, I, I actually, I'd like to leave it maybe open, yeah. To, to, if to our listeners this. are maybe interested in hearing about, you know, the specific tong, tong styles or tong construction methods, uh, maybe flick us an email at ask.forgecast at gmail.com or you can message us on Instagram at the.forgecast. Um, yeah. But yeah, Can I mean, if they... What you think? 100%, right along with my uh, canon episode whenever that happens, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Bring out the well, canon. Well, we'll see. We'll see. That might, uh, that might happen. Well, well, we'll see if we can do an episode beforehand and, uh, and I'll just I'll just let you go and sit back and have a coffee and uh, we, can talk, we can talk canons because I'm sure I'll enjoy it just as much as our listeners. <laughs> That's it. But um, anyway, while, while you're preparing for bowling up, if people wanted to find you and follow for what you're doing, where could they find you? They can find me at Laughing Fish Forge on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, and I forget what else I'm on, but threads, uh, threads as well, yeah. And uh, and you know, there's a couple of videos on YouTube. Um, I've been doing mm. a bit more content on TikTok, so bear with me. I'm I'm trying to cut a few things together, and I'll have something come out on YouTube soon enough too. So, yeah, thanks for the support so far, guys. How about you, Sam? Where can they find you? Um, uh, you can find me curled up under a blanket somewhere, you know, coughing my lungs up. But uh, <laughs> when I finally <laughs> peek out from from behind them, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Etsy, YouTube, Patreon, Redbubble, eh, the underscore kitchen underscore sink on TikTok. But you can find me at Samtown's Bladesmith everywhere else. Yeah, hopefully I'll be having some content coming out soon. I've got some uh, engraving to do, obviously. Yeah, Viking sword finish up reveal. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> Yeah, it's going to be fun. <laughs> uh, I'm planning on doing some live streams pretty soon, maybe over on Instagram, maybe on YouTube, who knows. Yeah. Um, but yeah, hope you guys all have a fantastic week. Bye-bye.